It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. For those of you who have grandchildren, how important was it for you to come up with the perfect grandparent name for yourself? Jerry and Massey figured out very unique grandparent names for herself and her husband. Jerry Ann and I recorded this interview before Quilt Festival in Houston 2022, where she was headed to have her favorite quilt shown and also to have a booth for her quilt business, Annie McCuggs. Jerry Ann, thank you so much for spending this time with me to share your story. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Tell me about where you were born and raised. So I am a fifth generation Texan. And as a child, my father was in corporate life. And of course, I was born here and lived here until I was like four. Then we lived for a while in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And then we moved to Richmond, Virginia, and I did my elementary years there. And one of those years, we went to Greenville, South Carolina, and then back to Richmond the next year. So kind of called Virginia, my childhood home. And then we moved back to Texas, and I've been here ever since. So I'm a West Texas girl. We moved to West Texas. Now we live in East Texas, totally different terrain, desert and dry and plains out in West Texas. And over in East Texas, it's trees and lakes and hills. And I love it. So it reminds me of Virginia. So that's where I was born and raised. I'm still here. Nice. Tell me about a special childhood memory. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. I have a lot of childhood memories, right? I think living in Virginia, having come from Texas and moving to Virginia, and we had cousins who lived in New Jersey at the time, and it was Christmas. And Virginia has snow, but New Jersey has lots of snow. So we would drive up for the holidays to their house in New Jersey, and I remember the snow and the sledding and the ice skating on their pond, and that is such a different world than we have in Texas, but it really stands out in my mind how much fun we had as kids just playing outside in the snow. And so at Christmas, every year, even raising my children, I decorated with snowmen. I just love that so much. So I still, if I do a Christmas quilt, you can bet there would probably be a snowman somewhere on it. How fun. <laughs> I'm thinking how cold it is ice skating outside. And I've always wanted to ice skate on an actual pond instead of at an ice rink. And I've never gotten to do that. I think that would be so much fun. It was. I wouldn't want to do it now because the older I get, the harder I fall. <laughs> and as a child being short, you don't fall that far, right? Right. So it was cold, but you know, kids, they can do anything. Yeah. Jerry Ann, can you tell me about your employment and maybe why you chose that career? My first career goal, and I knew as a child, that I was supposed to teach. I just knew that. I think it was kindergarten when I came home and said, Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to be a reading teacher. This is so great. I loved reading. And I just knew at that early age that was my calling. However, when I started college, I knew that I was not supposed to teach children. <laughs> I love children and I love being around children, but that was not what I was going to do. So I did my undergrad and also one of my graduate degrees was in adult learning, training, adult. So I spent my whole life doing training and development. And I worked in different settings. So I worked in a school district and I worked for the, I 
guess you could call it the computer tech world. And I was training the schools in the district how to use the computer. So I worked in education. I worked for the federal government for a while doing professional development training, uh, leadership training, that sort of thing. And then I went to corporate America and did multiple industries, communications, and then also in manufacturing. And about that time is when I went into leadership. So the last 20 years of my career were leading groups of trainers or managers who had trainers and that sort of thing. And and going from a localized to national and international sorts of positions. So everything I've done in my whole career has been focused on training and developing, teaching adults in all kinds of capacities, and I loved it. How exciting to be able to teach adults. We don't think of that when we think of teaching. We do think of kids, but yeah, that is really great. I loved it. Oh, Paul, I loved it. It was so good. Now, if I understood you right, your parents moved back to East Texas, and you're still in East Texas. But after high school, did you go away to school and come back to the same area, or are you in a different town? What's that like? So my parents moved to West Texas, and I went to Wichita Falls is the name of the town we went to. And I did a couple of years of college there. And then I, on my own, moved to Dallas. I had a sweet aunt that let me stay with her until I got a job and a place. And I lived in Dallas and worked, met and married, had children, returned to school, and did my undergrad and then graduate work. And I moved back in Dallas, Fort Worth. The cities in between Dallas and Fort Worth are called mid-cities. So I moved to the mid-cities area, lived there for years, raised our kids there. And it was 19 years ago this week that we moved to East Texas. I took a job in East Texas, and they relocated us out here. So. West Texas, and then I moved to Dallas, Fort Worth area, lived there for many years, and then just moved here 19 years ago. So it's been a transition. Well, that's a lot. Texas is such a big state. I bet you felt like you moved to a different state. It felt like I moved to Virginia. Trees and water and creeks and rivers and hills and way more moderate climate than West Texas. West Texas is the hottest of the hot and the coldest of the cold. (laughs) East Texas, where I live, is very much like Atlanta, South Carolina. It's along that same latitude. So it's very moderate. It feels like a different country, though. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to share anything else about your family? My husband is my second husband. We've been married almost 30 years. When we started having grandchildren, I was wondering, what are the grandchildren going to call us? I don't know why that was important to me, but it really was important. So I was thinking about it and just processing it. It wasn't no pressure. I was just thinking about it. And one day we were in the car and he said something that made me laugh. And I turned and looked at him and I said, you are a hoot. And it dawned on me that would be a fabulous grandfather name for him. So I said, I'm going to name you Hoot. That can be your grandfather name. And he just looked at me like, well, okay. (laughs) And I said, I'll be Annie. Because my name is Jerry Ann, there's no child in the world that can say that. And I don't want my grandchildren calling me that anyway, right? So what could they call me? Well, they can call me Annie, which is a shortened version of Jerry Ann. And then I had a grandmother named Nanny and my mother's Nana. So it kind of goes along with the theme, right? So I said, you be Hoot and I'll be Annie and we can be Hoot and Annie. And it'll just be a party everywhere we are. Whenever they're around us, it'll just be a party. It'll be a Hoot and Annie. 
And our grandchildren call us that, and they have no idea what they're saying when they call us Hoot Nanny. And we love that. When we have some of them are early teens, they have figured it out. But it's so much fun. It's just to make light of it. So we have six grandchildren. We have four granddaughters and two grandsons. And they all live in the state of Texas. So they are all seventh-generation Texans, and we're thrilled with that. And life is good. Between us, we have four children and six grandkids. And we love every bit of being around them. We're always tired, but we we love it. (laughs) Grandkids are great. Aren't they? Oh. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? So I've always been a crafter. I've painted everything from T-shirts back in the 80s when painting. This is so ridiculous. I don't even know what led us to do this, but we would take T-shirts and paint things on the front. It was applique things on the front. I did all of that. I've made reeds. You know, there's always been a project in my life. And then one day I found quilting. And everything else pretty much stopped. (laughs) It just kind of is over. As you were talking about your T-shirts in the 80s, I was thinking I still have a sweatshirt my mom made for me in the 80s. She had applicated little hearts on. Yes, we did all that. And bears. Bears. Remember bears? <laughs> yes, I remember. Well, <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> How about other hobbies? So today, probably not. I mean, I don't have a lot of other hobbies. I'm pretty well focused on my business and on the quilt guild that I lead and the charity quilting and my family and that sort of thing. So all other hobbies have just kind of dissipated. Now, if I need to do something, I know how to make a bow for a wreath. You know what I'm saying? I can do those things. I just don't find my passion is there anymore. So painting and wreath making and ornament making and I mean, you name it, whatever the fad was, (laughs) I did. Through the years. Yeah. I think of those as crafts. And one time I was asking someone hobbies like cooking, and they said, no, that's a chore. (laughs) Oh, I get it. (laughs) Since all of this has happened, and my husband has retired, he does all of our shopping, and I mean groceries and everything. He does all of our errand running. He does all of the cooking. If he didn't cook, I wouldn't eat. <laughs> I mean, I would snack, but you know what I'm saying? I just wouldn't eat. So I've let everything go. It's just the oddest thing to think about. I get it. My husband does all our cooking, so I don't have to worry about that either. It's so nice. Can you tell me about who introduced you to quilting or how you found out about it? Both of my grandmothers sewed and quilted. My mother's mother made all of our clothes when we were little. And at one point, mother received a quilt. It was an apple core shaped quilt that had fabrics in it from clothes that she had made for me and my sister and my brothers. And I loved that quilt. I love the memories. I love the sentimental thing of it. I remember this dress, that sort of thing. So when I started having children, I asked mother if I could have that quilt. It's pretty worn at this point, but it is preserved. I mean, I've put it away. But my other grandmother was always doing the craft. So she was the one that would do the beads and all my Christmas ornaments and all of that sort of thing. So she did quilt a little but she enjoyed the crafting part more. So since I was a little bitty girl and saw fabrics that my grandmother put in that quilt that I recognized, I have just been loving it. 
when I was doing like art and drawing and painting and those kinds of things, I've come across some of that in the last couple of years. And I actually did quilt patterns. Like I would draw blocks and draw within them. So there was something there about the quilt. I found a cross stitch, a little blanket that I had started, and there were nine blocks on it. And I had completed like six of them. And then, of course, I got bored. And once I move on, it's done. (laughs) I'm past it. But I found it recently. And every one of those six that I had completed, and I had the instructions and everything and the threads all together, were quilt blocks. And I showed a girlfriend of mine, and she said, I'll finish that for you, which she did. And then when she got through, she gave it to me, and she had just found out she was going to be a grandmother. And I said, pass this on to your grandbaby. But quilting was even in cross-stitch. It's just the oddest thing. I should have seen it, but I wasn't wise enough to know that quilting was the thing. But all my life, it's been leading to quilting, and I didn't even recognize it. It is funny once we look back on our lives and seeing these different paths. It's just amazing. It's wild. I mean, I saw that little blanket and said, oh, my word, I was <laughs> I was doing cross stitch. And it was quilt blocks. What was, did I not even know that? <laughs> oh, my. Blinded by the moment, I guess. Whether it's a quilt that you have made or a different quilt, do you have a favorite one? I do. So Christmas 2009, my daughter and her husband announced that they were pregnant. And, of course, I did the whole jumping up and down, thrilled, 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 hugging her, crying, you know, the whole thing. And... After a couple of minutes of that, I leaned back. She's taller than me, so I had to look up at her, and I said, Ashley, I have to learn to quilt. In that split second, something triggered in my DNA, and I knew that that baby had to have a quilt. It was just that easy and that quick and that surprising. And she said, well, Mom, that is about the weirdest thing you've ever said. And I said, you know, I agree. I've I've never thought that that's what I would have to do, but I need to quilt. Well, that was December of 09. And 2010, I started quilting. Of course, I was quilting for a baby and it wasn't a show quilt or anything. So I wasn't too worried about being perfect. I mean, I was worried about being, you know, but I was learning. So I understand all that. So that's when I started quilting. So fast forward to 2020. I had decided that I was going to learn to work with wool. I'm in Texas. We don't do a lot of wool, right? I mean, it's just wool is kind of a not really a big thing here in my part of the world. But I wanted to do it. And I had collected some wool along the way. And right after the middle of March, when they closed everything down for COVID, I decided that now would be a good time for me to really do something with wool. So I did. And that quilt took me a year to finish. And it's called Promises of God. And after a few blocks, I realized, oh, this is going to be a quilt. And what I was actually doing was illustrating scripture. So each block is the illustration of a Bible verse or a passage, and sometimes a whole story, like my Noah's Ark block has the ark on water and the rainbow at the same time, and they didn't happen at the same time, but it kind of symbolizes the story. So as I worked on each block, a different scripture would come up, and I would get an idea for that block. And about, I don't know, 20 blocks in, I realized, wait a minute, I need to figure out how many blocks I'm going to do. I thought, well, I'll just do one for each book of the Bible. There are 66. That should be good. And then I put a title and it's the end block. So it ended up being symmetrical in my layout. The Lord gave me a vision about reverse applique. And this is a reverse applique quilt. 
and each block is an illustration of scripture. So I call that quilt promises of God. And for the second time ever, it will be shown at a show and it'll be in Houston. I'll be there for a quilt festival in Houston. So I'll be showing it in a few weeks. That is my favorite quilt. Every block was hand stitched with wool and then I would embellish it with beads. It's beaded. It took me a year. But that was a great way for me during COVID to stay focused on the promises and not get all lost in the fear. So I loved doing it. I loved putting it together. I loved the challenge. I loved everything about it. And now it's a quilt. So that's my favorite one. How exciting that you were able to do that during that time for one and then to be able to share it at Houston. That's amazing. I'm so excited. God's been good to me. Yeah. Is there a tool that you love using? I would love to tell you about a tool that I produced that the idea was given to me, and it's basically my story. In 2018, my local guild told us that the next year we would be doing Dresden for our theme of the quilt show. So everybody get busy making your Dresden. So we'll have lots of Dresdens to put in the show next year. I was sitting there not very happy going, I've made, in my mind, I didn't say anything, of course, but in my mind, I was thinking, that's no fun. We've all done Dresdens. We've been there and done it. I can't even imagine, you know, 42 pink Dresdens. (laughs) cute, beautiful quilts, but so I was not really excited about it. That was on a Thursday. On Saturday, I was in my quiet time, and I came across a verse in John 151, and it says, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When I read that verse, I immediately saw up in the heavens a, like, clouds and everything up in the heavens, way far, 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 far away. I saw the shape, what ended up being the shape. I had to draw it to figure out what I was seeing, but it was the shape of a Dresden blade. So for those who haven't made Dresdens, it looks like a piece of pizza. It's cut that direction, right? It's a triangle-ish shape that's wider at the top than it is at the bottom. And in that shape, in this vision that I saw was a window and angels were pouring through that window coming toward me. And I was looking at it going, I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't even know what that is. So I started sketching, like I said, and when I sketched it out, it was the shape of a dress and blade. And when I was being shown, it put a window in it. And then because the angels, when I thought the angels were coming from the backside, I knew, I just knew that the fabric needed to be applied from the back. Well, what I've just described to you is reverse applique. You cut a hole in fabric and you fill the hole, the window, I call it a window, you fill the window with fabric. So I worked on it and I played with it for a few months and got stuck and a friend was over at the house one day and I said, Becky, I'm stuck on a project, but would you look at it? So I got it out and she was like, oh my word, oh my word. No one's ever done this before. And she said, let's do this. And we played with it a little bit. And she went home with the plastic, the real thin plastic that you make templates out of. She went home with one and I said, I'm going to do more of mine. And about a month later, we got back together and we're showing each other and how much fun it was. And My edges are not raw edge. It's not raw edge applique. It's actually finished edge, reverse applique. So we played with it. It worked. It was so much fun. So about a month later, I called my business attorney. I was a long-arm quilter. I had purchased a long-arm and had been doing that for the public after my career abruptly ended in a layoff, and I couldn't find other work. I decided, you know what? In the meantime, I'm just going to learned a long arm and supplement our income. So I was a long armer and I had an attorney. I called him and I said, hey, I'm 
thinking I'm supposed to manufacture this, what would be the first thing you would have me do? And he said, get a patent. Well, in training and development, which was my career, I always got copyrights. And then even a lot of the work that I had done or some of the work I had done had been trademarked. So I knew about those, but it never dawned on me to get a patent because only engineers and smart people get patents. And I was like totally stunned. And he said, yeah, I need you to get a patent. And the patent attorney I want you to use is in Charlotte. He's a friend of mine. Great. I mean, you know, there's the answers, right? So I called the attorney. And of course, the first step is to research it because if it's ever been done before, you can't get a patent. So he wouldn't have taken the case. And he came back and said, Jerry, and no one's ever done this. And I said, well, I knew that. (laughs) Good. I'm glad you know it. And from that day until the day I was patent pending, I had to teach an attorney to quilt on the phone. So it was truly fascinating and wonderful for me because my graduate work is in learning, right? So how do people learn and how can I had to learn how he learned to be able to teach him what I needed to teach him. It was so much fun. It was a great challenge. And we got through it and we never got mad. (laughs) It was fun. Well, from the day he took the case until the day I was patent pending was 40 days. And from my worldview, 40 days is very significant, 40 years, you know, the whole 40 numbers. And it was a miracle. Everybody says, A patent will take a year. Well, no, not always. Mine was 40 days. So I was then patent pending, at which time I needed to change my business from like a sole proprietorship to an LLC, right? Just business stuff. So I took care of all that. And then I got busy figuring out how to manufacture and produce, package, redo logos, build the infrastructure for a business. The patent pending happened in 2018, and then 2019 was all the rest of the work. So I made tons of quilts, and I did a soft launch early in the year to see if this was going to go anywhere before I made a big order. Not that I doubted that it would sell, but how good of an idea is it? How will the public react? Well, it went over like gangbusters, so late in 2019, I went full guns and had a booth in Houston and Florida and just did some national things and it went really well and it was a dress and plate with windows in it. So that was the beginning of my tool making days. So that would be my favorite first tool. Then 2020 hit and I was working with the circle tool, but in the meantime, As I was working on that, I knew that I was supposed to launch the orange peel reverse applique. So I did that in 2021. And then this year I'm doing the circle. And I already have figured out what comes next year. But it's a secret till I get it done. But my favorite tools are reverse applique. And the deal is you can fussy cut or fill the windows in ways that it's different than applique. And all of mine, you can do it by machine. And it's been so much fun to do reverse applique in a way that nobody else has ever done it. And that's the way the Lord works. It cracks me up that there you were sitting. I don't want to do a dressed in plate, but the Lord put that out there for you to follow this. That's so wonderful. What we tend to do, what the vast majority of quilters do is applique. And what mine does is we cut a hole out of it and we replace it with the new. That's exactly what happens when we accept Jesus. Right? We become a new creation. And all the old goes away. Mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful picture of salvation. Yeah. When you're working on a quilt, do you have a part that you enjoy more than the other parts, or do you like each step? Well, my favorite is the design. I wake up with designs 
Here's an example. I woke up one morning hearing the song Marrakesh Express playing in my head. Well, that's a song from the early 70s, <laughs> 50 years ago, when I'm humming along with this song and I'm totally, why am I doing this? And I started doing some research about what does that even mean? And so I went and listened to the song and then I was led to look up the meaning of Marrakesh and it means land of God. And as I was looking all of that up, all of these Marrakesh market colors kept floating through my mind. That even makes sense. I could see the golds and the reds and just the vibrant colors that I would expect. I've never been to Morocco, but the vibrant colors that I would expect to see in a marketplace in Marrakesh. I was working with my orange peel reverse applique tool. And I knew that I had to do a Marrakesh quilt, and it just came to me what it should look like. So that's my favorite part. I mean, oh, I just love it when, I, when I'm shown a quilt. And then my next favorite part is the choosing of the fabric and putting all that together. I think my least favorite part, and this is so wild, is making a label to put on the back. (laughs) It's like, oh, I forgot my label. Every time, I don't know what it is about it, but putting the label, and I like to put my labels on before I quilt it because I'm a long armor, right? I can quilt my own. But now I get so excited, the top is done, the back is done, I'll throw it on and then I'll think, but wait, I didn't put a label on it. So I think that's my least favorite part. And it's the part I forget to do half of the time. Yeah, we're right there almost to the finish line. So it is a step that's easy to skip. I just get excited, you know, let's do this. (laughs) What was your worst quilting experience? Well, I distinctly remember when I was long arming a quilt for the school where my one set of grandchildren go. They were doing a fundraiser, and I said, I'll make a quilt and donate it to the fundraiser. And I was quilting along, and I did a, it was computerized, the pattern that I was using. I was using my computer, and I did the whole row without looking at the tension, and it was all messed up, and I had to pick it out. So I turned on the movies of three movies. It took me eight hours to pick out that row of quilting. It was so dense. (laughs) and There was so much of it. Eight hours of picking out quilting. But I learned a lesson. Always check my tension. That was a really hard lesson on me. It just took forever to pick out. And that I will never forget. And I can even tell you a couple of the movies. (laughs) It was that bad. I think you touched on this, but you might expand a little bit here. Why do you think you make quilts rather than spending time on a different craft or doing something else? I'm so glad you asked that question. Quilting began when my daughter was, you know, the pregnant thing that happened. And then I had another experience in 2015 where it was Christmas time and we went and ran errands, and we were in a store, and the Salvation Army had their tree hanging where you take a child's name and buy these essentials, basically, for this child, and then turn it in, and they give it to the kid. And I chose one of the very last names up there because it was really close to the deadline. And this little boy's name was Josiah. And, of course, I ran and got a shirt, pants, shoes, and Legos bless his heart. And on the way home, the Lord whispered in my ear, will Josiah be warm this winter? And of course, my reaction is, well, I don't know. I don't know, Josiah, but that was silly on my part because it was really leading me to show me that I needed to put a quilt together for Josiah, which I did. And I had it ready by the next afternoon. And we turned it all in and I thought, okay, check the box. I'm done with that. And then right after Christmas, 
I was still thinking about Josiah and how many children in our town, how many children like Josiah are there. And I called. They cap it at 2,500, and we live in a town with less than 200,000 people. So if there are 2,500 kids that are cold in the winter, that just broke my heart. And I decided at that point, you know what? There are a lot of things I can be doing for me, but those babies are cold in the winter. And I want to spend time taking care of the children if I have free time. I'd rather do that than anything else. So I got with some girlfriends, and we started making quilts. And the next year, 2016, we gave over 100 quilts to Salvation Army, which led the next year we formalized meeting and started meeting as the Christian Quilt Guild. And all we do is focus on charity quilting, and all we do is focus on ministry and Salvation Army, but we do hospice quilts. We to Wounded Warrior Quilts, all kinds of just quilting for donations. So, of course, I love that, right? Because I've got a long arm, and if somebody will bring me a top, I'll long arm it. I don't have time to do both. That was in 2017. A few months later, we went to the Ark. Some girlfriends and I went on a mission trip, and on the way home, we stopped by the Ark in Kentucky. And I started praying, Lord, you gave Noah an assignment. And, Lord, I'm not smart enough to build a boat. I'm not sure you need a boat. But, Lord, you know what I need to be doing. I don't. And I want an assignment. Lord, would you give me an assignment? I don't have 100 years to build a boat unless you give me 100 years. But I need an assignment, Lord, that's just for me. That was in August of 17. And it was 2018 when he gave me the idea for the dressings. So. I'm on assignment. It's my passion, and I love it, but it's more than just a hobby for me, and it's far more than a business. This is my assignment. So that's why I do what I do. Before we talk a little bit more about Christian Quilt Guild, can you share a quilting tip? Mm-hmm. I love giving tips. In fact, when I'm in a booth, I give about three or four. So I will share my favorite ones. First of all, I work at quilting. It's my job. It's my mission. It's my passion and all of that. So I do it a lot, especially as a business. And I cannot afford, and I really don't like using spray starches that are purchased, but I'm frugal. So when I learned years ago to make my own spray starch, I've never been so happy in my life. So let me tell you how I make it. And I don't drink this stuff. I don't like it. I don't like the smell, but I use it in my spray starch. I buy the cheapest vodka that I can find. Bottom shelf. Top shelf is good stuff. That's what people drink. Bottom stuff is just not. It's high in starch. Here's the way it works. Distilling alcohol, the more it's distilled, the more starch is removed. So the cheaper it is, the more starch it has in it. So you want to buy the cheapest that you can get. And I mix it, one-third parts vodka, two-thirds parts water. And then I put some essential oils, drops, just two or three drops in it to kind of mask the vodka odor. And I put it in spray bottles. I give it away. I teach people how to make it. And it just relaxes the fabric like nothing else. You know how sometimes spray starches leave a dangerous-looking kind of thing on it? This doesn't do that at all. And alcohol dissipates with heat. And so when I iron, it just dissipates. And you can buy, well, I don't know how much alcohol costs where anyone lives, but for us, the last time I bought it, a couple months ago, I bought a two liter, and it's $10. Well, that's a lot of cups of, <laughs> of alcohol, so it lasts me I literally three or four months, and I use it every single day. So that's a money saver and the best starch that I have ever found. If I need it to be a little stiffer, I add a little more alcohol to my mixture, but one-third part vodka, two-thirds 
part. Water and a little essential oil is my favorite tip. The other tip I will tell you is that in all of my reverse applique, in all of my bindings, I use Elmer's Disappearing School Glue, the purple kind, purple disappearing glue sticks. And I buy them this season right now. They're on sale everywhere, so you can buy them really inexpensively. And when I cut a hole in my fabric, I have to snip to the corner so I can fold it back. I run a little bead of glue and then finger press it down all the way around my window. And then here's the tip with the glue. Anytime you use glue, even if it's on your bindings, if you will heat set it. So I hit it with an iron just to melt the glue. Well, the chemistry part of that is when glue melts, of course, don't touch it when it's hot. (laughs) Just like hot glue, right? It's not comfortable. But once it has cooled, it will stay bonded until you pull it apart. But if you pull it apart, which you want to readjust something, that's no problem. But the the adhesive quality is gone, so it won't re-stick. So you have to add more glue. The good news about that is if you just hit it with your iron, which is plenty hot enough, melt it, let it cool. When you run that under your needle and your sewing machine, you don't have any gummy residue. Some people complain that when I use glue, it gums up my needle. Well, if you'll heat set it and let it cool, that gumminess is gone, so it won't mess up your needle. So spray starch and glue sticks are my two favorite things in the world to use in my quilting. I use both of them on every quilt. Huh. I know, right? (laughs) Thank you for that tip. You're welcome. Describe how you actually started Christian Quilt Guild. I would love to tell you this story. So my friends and I had been making quilts to give to Salvation Army. It was just friends. There was no, like, formal organization. And March of 2017... I was at church, and we were in our, I still call it Sunday school. I don't know what they call it, but it was our classroom before the service. I'm a note taker. I just learned better that way. So I was writing along and listening and writing along, and one of my dear friends across the room, her husband was teaching, and all of a sudden, while he's teaching, I heard the Lord say, start the Christian Quilt Guild, and so I wrote it down. And I was kind of surprised, and I asked, Lord, what do I name it? And he said, the Christian Quilt Guild. (laughs) He's very patient with me, and sometimes I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I said, oh, okay. So after the lesson and we were leaving and doing the whole thing, I went up to my friend Nita. I knew when he said that somehow that I was supposed to tell Nita. So I told her, I said, the Lord said we're supposed to start the Christian Quilt Guild. And she said, oh, how fun. But I don't know how to quilt. And I looked at her and I said, you'll learn. (laughs) And she said, okay. I was shocked, as was she. And by the end of the week, we had a place to meet, which was a conference room at the local hospice facility here in town and we had a date and within days this all happened and our first meeting was in April of 2017 the first Thursday of April and we had 25 people show up it was amazing so what we've done is we alternate months as far as what the topic is going to be every other month We have some ministry in the area come and talk about what their ministry is and what their needs are and what they do and how they meet the needs of their constituents. And the opposite months, we try to have quilters do trunk shows or tools and describing or demos or something related to quilting. So we alternate back and forth. That was in 2017. In 2020, we filed for our 501c3 so the people who donated to us could get receipts for their taxes and stuff. And everything that we do has been based on donations, like 
donation batting or money for batting or whatever. It has been an amazing event and journey, and we've given close to 600 quilts away in those few years. Like I said earlier, for children, for hospice, for the beds at the hospice facility, there's a Christian counseling organization that counsels women who have left the abortion industry, and they are looking for counseling, and they do retreats. So we send quilts to them, and Salvation Army and Wounded Warriors, that's what we focus on. But that's how we got started. We just did it informally, and then we did it as a group, and then we actually started the 501c3. And funny story, we have a three-bedroom home. Of course, our kids are grown and all of that. And we had so many fabric donations that we didn't have a place to store them. So I decided that I would sell in one of the guest bedrooms, the bed, the dresser, the nightstands, everything. <laughs> just sold it, cleaned out that room. And that is now the Guild's fabric donation room. And it's full. I'm telling you, it is full. Shelving, bolts of fabric, tables with bins, sorted by colors, all of that. And anybody in the Guild who wants to come shop in the donation fabric can come get anything they need and as much as they want. The only thing we ask is that they, at some point, return a quilt to us. So it has been just an amazing ride. How generous the community has been and how generous these sweet women are that quilt for others. It's just like there's a timeline. We make quilts for our family and our kids and our cousins and our nephews and nieces, and we do that for the family. And at some point, we realize that, like my daughter said, Mom, we have enough quilts. I'm like, oh, okay. So that kind of turned me to, well, I'm not going to quit making quilts. And then the Josiah thing happens. So making for others, we still get to use our talents and our passion and our love, and we still get to be around quilters. And in this environment, we're doing it for a greater good. So we have now about 50 members and have chapters starting in other places. We have a chapter that started in Phoenix. We have a chapter that there's a woman wanting to start one in Austin, and there's another woman who's expressed interest in the Norfolk, Virginia area. So that's what we do, and I believe it's growing because there are lots of people who want to do for charity. It's been a wonderful thing. Tell me about your Facebook groups. Of course, I have a personal Facebook page, and then we have a Christian Quilt Guild page, and that is the Guild. I have Annie McHugs page, which is the name of my business. So Annie McHugs, when I had to rebrand and name my business, I wanted to use my grandmother name. It thrills me to have a grandmother name, so I wanted to use that. And I was thinking, Annie Mc, I wanted a last name like it was going to be a first and last name. And I'm all about the hugs. I mean, COVID was really hard on me because I do love hugging my friends. So I chose McHugs as my made-up silly last name, but Annie McHugs is my business name. I have a website too, but I have a Facebook page that's Annie McHugs. And then I have another Facebook page group that is called We Are Called to Pray. So that page when the COVID meltdown happened, I write every day anyway, and the Lord said, I want you to start publishing encouraging words, and I was like, I'll publish anything, Lord. I would love to write a book, and he was like, I don't mean write a book, and I was like, what does that mean? So he was telling me to write a devotional on Facebook each day, and I said, I'll do that happily if you'll give me the words. I'll be the scribe. The pressure of me writing something is like, I don't know what to write. But if you'll give me the words or the inspiration or where to get the direction, I'll do it. So the group is We Are Called to Pray. You can find it on Facebook. And I call it Jerry Journal. So every day, Monday through Friday. And 
whatever's on my heart, whatever's on my mind, whatever the Lord puts on my heart, whatever I hear him say, I just write a daily devotional. That group, the reason I called it We Are Called to Pray is because I was at church on March the 8th of 2020, and the Lord, as I was writing, said, start a conference call every Tuesday at 3.30 to pray for your nation. And this is before the lockdown happened. And I was like, okay. So I got set up with a conference call number the next day and started this little group and told all my friends, y'all, on Tuesdays at 3.30, we're going to pray for the nation. And that was on March the 8th. And on March the 13th, at least in my part of the world, in Texas is when everything locked down for COVID. And we have been praying every Tuesday for this nation since March the 10th, which was the day we started of 2020. We're still praying. So I encourage anyone who's interested in that to come in the banner across the top of the page is the conference call phone number and how to get into the call and the access code and all that. So we would welcome anyone who's interested. That sounds wonderful. Is there anything else you would like to share with us today? Only to summarize, if you get an idea, go with it. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Go with it. Because it could be an idea that will make a difference in so many other people's lives. Don't pass up opportunities would be how I would summarize it. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I so appreciate it and had a great time visiting with you. I had such a wonderful time visiting with you. So thank you, Paula, so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.